Can you imagine if you weren't a Christian and you go to a church and you say, hey, I want to, I want to join. I, I want to learn how to follow Christ. Can you imagine if the church answered, are you sure? Or can you imagine if someone came to Jesus and was like, hey, I, I heard about you. I, I'm really interested. I would like to follow you. And Jesus says, are you sure that's what you want? Because that's basically what we see in our passage today is Jesus presenting the cost of following him and almost to a point where he's, he's discouraging, hey, if, if this isn't something that you're into or that you're, you're willing to commit to, it's, it's almost dissuading them from following him. And honestly, friends, this is a, a tough passage for us. It, it's not an easy passage. It's not an easy passage to, to preach nor listen to. And I, I, whenever I do preach... I do not stand up here and preach down. That's not at all how this is. I seek to, to preach God's word faithfully, and then I come down and I sit with you under the authority of Jesus Christ, our head, the head of the church, our Lord and our Savior. And so this morning, let's hear these hard words from, from Christ because they are hard. Let's take it to heart. Let's repent where we need to. Let us find comfort and hope in the cross. And let us build each other up by exhorting each other, encouraging other, admonishing each other where needed. And so in Luke 9, coming to the end of Luke chapter 9, and as we have seen the beginning of Jesus talking a lot about discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean not just on Sunday, but through uh, Monday through Saturday, all the other days? What does it actually mean? And as Keith has mentioned uh, this passage can be kind of really summarized with the cost of following Jesus. And that may sound familiar because just a few verses ago in chapter 9, in verse 21 through 27, Jesus again talked about the cost of following him. And so this is kind of part two, round two of Jesus talking about the cost of following him. And that's because being a Christian is no joke. It's not something flippant to get into. And we, we, uh, we've, it's been easy in the, in, in the U.S. to be a Christian. And we've become accustomed to be able to claim Christ, to go to church on Sunday, and think of ourselves as Christians. We've become accustomed to think the cost of following Jesus is 10% of your income. That's about it. We've become accustomed that if we feel wronged, that we do feel wronged, if we don't feel made to feel good at church, uh, we cry legalism when we're hurt, told to obey God. And we, we feel offended when we, people say, hey, you're actually doing this wrong and you need a change in order to obey God. But what we see in Scripture and as we see in this passage, following Christ is not like that. It's an all-of-life commitment. And it's like a blank check you offer to Christ for the cost. It's a blank check. And in our passage, we see that cost. And it, it, it fits well with possibly where our nation is, is at in terms of a time where if you hold to a biblical view of gender, of sexuality, of marriage, of babies in the womb, of what's right and what's wrong, that you could be have litigation facing, opposition, uh, ridiculed, and different things. We saw in our passage last week that we live in a time of mercy where God is being patient, wanting everyone to come to repentance. And during that time, there's a cost to that, 
to, to Christ, but also to us, that we're living in a world that's opposed to Christ. And so this morning, we continue the cost of what it means to follow Christ, and we'll see three things. One is the cost of rejection. Two is the cost of priorities. And three is the cost of enslavement. And so if we jump into our passage, if you haven't opened your Bibles, open to Luke 9. We're at the very end. We're finishing Luke chapter 9. And the first cost of fallen Christ we see in our passage is the cost of rejection. Verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so remember the immediate context. We, like we saw last week, Jesus has just been rejected by a Samaritan village. Just got rejected. And now they continue on, on the road, as we saw. They, they moved on to the next village. And someone comes up to Jesus. And so we see this, this first cost of rejection is in light of the immediate context of Jesus being rejected. So we, we have that context. And so Jesus, uh, this disciple, um, comes to him, or this would-be follower, says, I will go wherever you go. And what passion, right? What excitement, what an opportunity to, to grab onto that. And in Matthew's accounts of this passage, Matthew makes it more clear that this person is, is asking to become a student of Jesus. At that time in Judaism, if you were become a student of uh, a teacher of Judaism, being a rabbi, you'd actually move in with them. You'd live with them in order to learn the, the Torah, the, the, um, the law of Moses. And so this, this person is saying, I want to become a student of you. I want to go where you go and live with you and learn from you. And in response to this apparent dedication, Jesus says, well, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, But the Son of Man, he's got nowhere to lay his head. Foxes, they have a home that they're received in. Birds, they have a home and they're received. But the Son of Man, he doesn't have a home. And he doesn't get received. And this is very clear from the immediate context. And so Jesus responds, well, are you sure? Are you sure you want to follow me? Because you won't be received. You'll be rejected uh, by some, if not many. And so Jesus is not looking just for students, just those to live with him or those to, to, to visit him every Sunday. But rather, he's looking for the would-be follower to follow him consistently, a total cost that you may be rejected by many, be thought weird of by others. And the truth that you proclaim will be opposed by many. It made me think, as I was reading that, of someone else who said something similar, and that being Peter. Peter said to Jesus, I will never fall away. Even if other people fall away, I will never fall away. And then just a little bit later, we see, uh, see Peter falling away, denying Jesus Christ at social pressure. These three people saying, well, aren't, weren't you with them? Aren't you a Galilee? And, and Peter denies him. Matthew Henry, he writes this. Christ tells this man what he must count upon if he followed him. That is, to, to, to lie cold and uneasy, to fare hard and live in contempt. If he could not submit to this, let him not pretend to follow Christ. Some would-be followers of Christ 
they want to follow Christ as he enters Jerusalem, and everyone's saying, Hosanna. They're, they're waving palm branches, and they receive him as king. But they do not see the necessity of following him to town after town as he's rejected. They don't see the requirement of following him into the, the, the public square where the Pharisees oppose him and set up traps to try to trap him. They don't see the necessity of following him into the Garden of Gethsemane where he's sweating blood because of the anxiety and the stress that he's in. Nor do they see the requirement of going to the cross where he's mocked and ridiculed and dying on the cross. The cost to follow Christ is rejection. And this is not new at all. Uh, for those of us who have been walking with us through Luke, this is not new. If you remember back in Luke 6, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Blessed, he says, happy are you when this happens to you. And just a, a side note, because we, we, we don't... We ought not to be naive. If we look at church history, those Christians who are persecuted, those who are martyred, were not condemned by the people for the reason that, oh, they're sincere in the faith, therefore let's persecute them. Therefore, let's, let's martyr them. No, the reason that's always given throughout history and now with brothers and sisters in Christ across the world, the reason for being persecuted are things such as they're a danger to the state and society. They're, they're disruptors of the peace. They're narrow-minded. They're troublemakers. That's always the reason given. And in truth, they were persecuted and martyred for their faith. They were opposed and rejected for their faith, but it's always labeled as something else. Following in, in Luke 6, this is such a given that you will be rejected for Christ that Jesus pronounces a woe, a judgment on those who are accepted by all. This is in Luke 6. He says this, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So Jesus says, If you, Christian, if you are talked highly by all, there's almost a certain chance that you are very like a false prophet and that you are, are perverting the truth or you're withholding truth from people and that's very hard and i'm not saying that this is what jesus says woe to you judgment on you if everyone talks highly of you because they talked highly of the false prophets as well love without truth or certain truths that we withhold is not love at all it's compassionless and it's selfish worship of people it's worship of the approval of people it's patting people on the back as we walk next to them on their way to hell. It's making people feel good as we stand by, as they sin. They'll have serious consequences in their marriage, in their kids, their career, at their church family. Love without truth is plain fear of man. And so the cost of rejection, or the cost is rejection of fallen Christ. J.C. Ryle he is a leader in the church in the 1800s. He said, To be a Christian will cost a man the favor of the world. When we hear Jesus say this to this excited follower, it seems kind of harsh, right? It seems kind of blunt. Like, Jesus, this guy is just, he wants to go with you everywhere. He, he, he's just excited, and Jesus just kind of lays it on him. But Jesus says the cost is you'll be rejected. 
We need to keep in mind that the one that we're following, Jesus, he's hated by the world. Even, even now, he's hated by the world. What he says is hated by the world. He was accused while he was on earth of stirring up Jerusalem. He was accused of, of uh, working, doing the works of the devil. He was accused as an enemy of the state and executed. And do we think that we'll have it any better? And so the first cause, the cost of fallen Christ is rejection. And then another person comes in. We see the second cost of following Jesus is a cost of priorities. In verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so this time Jesus comes to someone, to a a would-be follower, and says, follow me. And Jesus calls this person to follow him, and he says, Lord, let, let me first go, go bury my father. And it, understanding the context here, proper burial was a major concern in the ancient culture. In fact, it was probably the main, uh, the top priority to a family member is to, to bury them. Most commentators here believe that this man's father wasn't dead yet. But you say, hey, I, before I do that, let let me take care of this responsibility I have to my dad. But the point is the same. The cost of following Jesus is living by his priorities and not yours. And that's where Jesus answers back, leave the dead to bear their own dead. And that seems incredibly harsh and, and, and stark. And it's designed to show the, the commitment that it actually takes to follow Christ. It's a rhetorical effect that Jesus is playing on here. He's not saying let the physically dead bury the physically dead. He's not saying that. He's saying let the, the spiritually dead, those who are not following Christ, those who, whose priorities are not in line with Christ's priorities, let them take care of these lesser priorities. And so what we see here is this man presents the best excuse, probably the best excuse at that time to not follow Christ or not to follow him in this area of life. He presents it to Jesus. And Jesus rejects it. As one, one person has said, many a would-be follower of Jesus has pleaded the requirements of social obligation or prior business demands as an excuse for not meeting the imperative of obedience, and Jesus rejects such excuses. Do not hear Jesus nor me saying that family work is not important. That's clearly not what's being said here. But what is the point is not to use this as an excuse from the first priority, which is following Christ. Many times, good things can keep us from the best or the right things, and that's what we see here. And our priorities, as we look and consider this, the cost of priorities, our priorities are clearly seen in how we live. And following Jesus, being a Christian, is, is not a life where we can go to church, and then the rest of the week, we, our lives are basically the same as an average American. When we align ourselves with Jesus, we set ourselves apart from the world and we accomplish our tasks different than the world. That means our marriage is different. We raise our kids differently than the average American. We, our career goals are different than the average American. Our finances are different than the average American. In the last week, when we, we talked about the, the time uh, of mercy, this patience God is having, uh, I mentioned how 
And at that time, because God is, does not send immediate judgment against uh, the wicked, they can begin to conclude, well, maybe God does not exist because he does not strike me dead when I do this. In the same way, we can live with wrong priorities and because God does not discipline us right now, we may conclude, oh, this is all right. This is, this is okay because nothing bad is happening. And we can get caught in this. And it just shows the desperate need we have of God's grace and the Holy Spirit through his word to open our eyes, to renew our minds with God's word. And so Jesus says, leave the dead to bear their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let me do this. This is my priority. Jesus says, nope. Go, this is your priority. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. And looking at, at Luke, this is, should be no surprise at all. This is exactly what we have seen throughout Luke. This parallels with the reason why Jesus came back in chapter 4. This parallels uh, with the priority of Jesus in chapter 9 already, verse 2, verse 11. This anticipates, as we know, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, but here in Luke in chapter 24. This anticipates in Luke's second volume in Acts of the apostles whose priority is to proclaim the word of God. And we see in the rest of the New Testament, the, the main role of the elders is to proclaim God's word, to teach, to, to rebuke. We see this, this, this priority of Jesus as a priority in our households. Deuteronomy 6, I love this passage. God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, the proclamation of God's word should permeate our households. And we see this in other relationships as well, at workplace, at, at, at the gym, at clubs, or wherever. We are to be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's within us. This is a priority. We have our priorities, and Jesus says, no, this is the priority. And as I said, it's very easy to let good things take the place and have us neglect the best and the right things. And it's the proclamation of the kingdom of God, the truth of Christ that people are saved by, that people are edified by, that people are sanctified by, that people are encouraged by, that people are convicted by. That's what's at stake. Because if we care more about uh, not being rejected by people, if we care more about other priorities, the word of God is at stake. Now, as I was going through this, it can be easy to hear that and think, I must sell everything. I must go over to South America. I must be a missionary to an unreached people group. And that's very easy to hear, but that's not, the, that's not necessarily the case. Honestly, it might be for some of you. That's exactly what you should do. But for most, it means for us to reconsider the different areas of our lives and if our priority in lines with God's priority. Do you live in your marriage as if it is indeed a picture of the gospel as it ought to be, as a witness to those around you? Husbands, are you leading your wife as we see in Ephesians 5? Wives, are you submitting to your husbands as we see in Ephesians 5? Are you raising your kids 
in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Is that a priority? Or are you taking cues from the culture and just going on with what they say? Are you working at your workplace with the mentality of just get in and get out and that's good? Or are you going to work for the glory of God to see opportunities, to give a, a reason for the hope that's within you? Are you as an employer, see this as an opportunity to invest in your employees and to, to, to lead them as one who has to give an account to someone who leads you? In your relationships, do you live just for yourself? You can suck what you can from people. Or are you looking to love others through encouragement, through forgiveness, through admonishment? Do you see money and ask, well, how can I fulfill this desire? How can I add this new thing? Or how do I get this new thing that is not necessary? Or do you see it as God's money and look for opportunities to help out a church family member or to help out and give to an area that, to work for the kingdom of God? The cost of following Christ is our priorities is not just in line with what we think, but it's what Christ thinks. And he says the first priority is to proclaim the kingdom of God. There's many good things and there's rightful things, but that is the first priority. And then he comes to the third cost, if that's not enough. The cost of enslavement. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so anyone else thinking, wow, this seems incredibly reasonable, right? All he wants to do is say goodbye to, to his family members and, and go. Like, what, what, what's, so, what's so wrong about that? But in like these other instances, Jesus wants to express what it actually means, the commitment of following Christ. And so Jesus responds with a familiar picture, plowing, Right? And those who have plowed a field can relate or those who have mowed their lawn can relate. That when you're going, as we all know, if you're driving around, mowing or plowing, and you look back, trying to see, well, did I do a good job? Or are you looking at other things? You know, then like the line starts getting all, all jig-jaggedy and all over the place. And, and we know and the way to, to prevent that is to look forward, usually to keep an eye and something in the distance, and they'll give you a straight line. And it's exactly what Jesus is using here. One cannot follow Christ and continue to look back at other things. One cannot follow Christ and look back to see, well, what about the approval of people? Or what about this priority? And the word here for, for look back, it's, it's, uh, the grammar shows it's continue. It's, it's a continuous, always double check, and what about these things? What about these things? And the point is this, you cannot follow Christ and be looking back. You cannot follow two masters, and we've heard that before from Jesus. You cannot attempt to follow Christ while looking back at the proof of others. You cannot follow Christ while yearning and craving for the priorities of the world. And I said this is the cost of enslavement. Either Jesus is your master or he's not. And this is what we see with Paul in a lot of his New Testament, uh, his letters. He introduces himself, Paul, a slave of Christ. I think, and I could be wrong, James, a brother of Christ, may even, may even have used that phrase as well. Paul, a slave of Christ. Alex, a slave of Christ. Your name, a slave of Christ. There's no double-mindedness in the follow of Christ. We cannot be looking back. Well, what about this? What about what this person thinks? 
being a Christian means that you're a slave to Christ, that he is the Lord, that he's the authority. Not, not me, not ourselves, not our, our, our feelings, not the world, not the opinions of others, not sin. But Jesus Christ is the Lord and the authority and the master. And this is extremely difficult for us, extremely difficult in a world that's all about consumerism and just about, let me get this for myself, let me decide what's best and what's not. But this double-mindedness of, in discipleship is worthless, and that's the exact word that Jesus uses here. He says in verse 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And that word fit in other places is, is meant as useless or useful or in the opposite being useless. The one who's tr- continuing to look back at different priorities or the approval of others is useless for the kingdom of God. And that's hard. I was reading in Genesis this week of Lot when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angel comes in and the angel takes Lot and his wife and tells them to run, don't look back. And as they're running, as, as we're familiar, Lot's wife looked back. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Useless is the word that Jesus uses there. Or I think of the Israelites, who when they got, after the Exodus, got brought into the wilderness, and they were going, and they kept on, if you remember, grumbling and complaining and saying, oh, remember, remember in Egypt how it was so wonderful, and they kept on looking back to Egypt. Worthless. And I don't use that word in a derogatory way, I'm just using what Jesus said here. Those who look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. They're not useful for the kingdom of God. As one guy, Goodlu, has said, the kingdom of God is not for shallow or ill-prepared enthusiasts. It is not for those of divided loyalties. It is not for the hesitant or the backward-looking. It is not for the faint of heart. And so the cost of following Jesus is enslavement. Jesus, as your master, it's not about you. It's not about me. You're not the authority. I am not the authority. Not even close. Jesus Christ is the authority, and it's about Christ. And so we see these three costs, the cost of rejection, the cost of priorities, and the cost of enslavement. And so I ask you again, can you imagine if a Christian went to, a non-Christian went to a church and said, hey, I, I want to join and I want to follow Christ. And that church says, are you sure this is what you want to do? Are you sure? And this isn't to discourage anyone from following Christ, not at all, but it's being upfront of what it means to follow Christ. And this impacts our church family. Jesus never refused to accept those who ought to be accepted, those who came sincerely and truly in faith. But Jesus did not, as I think Charles Spurgeon says it very well, he says this, he did not shovel them in indiscriminately. He did not gather them to himself wholesale. He did not go about, as it were, soliciting their patronage, willing to take in anybody so long as he could swell the number of his followers. And our minds should be the same. We're not going out and, and simply saying, if someone says, oh, they're converted, that they're converted. And this isn't about judgment. It's being just reality. Because I do not, and I know that you do not at all, want to be a part of someone being in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Who wants to be, be part of that happening? That's not all what we want to do. We want to be upfront what it means to follow Christ. We cannot do a bait and switch. 
Yeah, following Christ will be perfect. Your life will be going so well. Yep, finances will be great. People will like you. You'll always have purpose and meaning, and life will be great. And then when we finally get them, don't forget all this rejection, isolation. Satan will come after you. You'll be in incredible temptations, probably a lot of struggles. Different trials will come, different hardships. Have fun. And, and that sounds funny because that's all, what we ought not to do, the cost of following Christ. And it impacts how we evangelize. And I'm coming to the close here. We do not see this uh, any, any emotion-induced decision, trying to push on people. That's not what we see in Scripture. What we see is Jesus and his disciples inviting people to repent and to receive forgiveness uh, through faith. To make a careful decision to understand what this all entails. Because what we win them with is what we win them to and is what we need to do in order to continue to keep them. I'll say it again. What we win them with is what we win them to and is what we need to continue to do in order to keep them. Therefore, we will win them with the truth of Christ so that we will win them to Christ and because we'll continue to proclaim the truth of Christ, we will thereby keep them in Christ. I hope that makes sense. What you win them with is what you win them to and what you must continue in order to keep them. Therefore, we will win them with the truth of Christ so that they'll be one to Christ and because we'll continue to proclaim the truth of Christ, thereby keep them in Christ. Well, coming to an end, those who are listening and are not following Christ, yes, the cost of following Christ is very high, but the cost of not following Christ is incredibly higher. Judgment is coming. Now is a time of mercy. And the only reason that that has not happened to you now is because God is being merciful and he's wanting you to come to repentance. So the call is to repent and to turn to Christ and flee to the cross for mercy. And Christian, the, the, the cost of following Jesus is high. And we may be entering a time where that, that cost will be a lot more real, a lot more felt. The time is short, hell is real, and there's souls at stake. That is why we proclaim the truth to lead the lost to repentance and the saints to obedience in Christ. That is why we proclaim the truth as we gather, to hear God's word, the word of the living God. That's why we must raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord for the sake of their souls. That is why we must be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within us, for our lost co-workers, lost family members, lost friends. And so the call is to obedience in Christ, obedience to Christ. We'll never be perfect, but we'll strive for it because God loves us and we want to love Him. And we will continue to repent of our disobedience. We will repent, we'll affirm our forgiveness in Christ, we'll ask for God's grace to obey, and we'll believe it and go forward knowing that he does give us grace to obey. And the Christian life is a life of repentance. And do not forget, Christian, that the one that you do follow is the one who says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can find rest, we can find grace in Jesus Christ who has died for your sins and my sins. You may be rejected by the world, but you are forever accepted by the living God because of Jesus Christ. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. And so this week, let's follow the one 
who can give us rest for our souls. Pray with me. Lord God, Lord, you know my sin. You know our sin, God. You know how short we fall. You know, Lord, you saved us. And God, we are eternally thankful. And Lord, as we hear these costs and what it might mean practically in our lives, I uh, think of our, our income, I think of our, our houses, our vehicles, and whatever that may look like uh, potentially in the future. And Lord, we, as we say that, Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world who, who know this cost so real, God. Lord, we pray for their faith. May you comfort them. May you give them courage to continue to, to persevere. Lord, may you, uh, God, give them grace. May we love our brothers and sisters in Christ in all these different nations where they are being persecuted, God. And Father, I pray, God, we know that we will not be able to to take this cost without your grace. And so, Father, we we beg you for your grace as uh, these costs become more real. Um, as a church, individually, Lord, may you give us grace. We cannot do this without your grace. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall, and thank you, God, that there's forgiveness in Christ. And so, Lord, we, we follow you because we know there's rest and there's hope in no one else, and that you are Lord and that you are Savior. Thank you, God. Amen.